My dog. What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Nothing, bro. How are you? Good. I'm good. I was uh, just listening to just brushing up on the back catalog of our guest today. I'm super stoked. What do you what have you been up to, man? I have been. This is my busy season, man. This is the spooky season. This is bulktober. It's serious. I'm lifting a lot of weights. I see you are, too. Yeah. Flex checking, um, I, uh, you know, repping the merch, listening to a lot of typo negative. You know the drill. We uh we bought one of those scales that does like your muscle mass and your bone density and all that shit and I've I've gained like I don't know if this is even I don't know if this could be true or not so you give me your your professional opinion here okay based on the weight that I did today dun, dun, dun. is this like an electric um, electric magnetic field that you know runs through your body. Oh, fuck, I don't know. I, I guess so. Um, my muscle mass started off at 118 on August 1st. On September 1st, it was 124. And then on October 1st, it was 127. So like, that's nine pounds of muscle in like two months. Is that right? Could that be right? It's possible. I mean, I've been working my ass off. Like I'm now, not... Can you yes, tell? Like I am, yeah, like my clothes are fitting different and shit. And it yeah. fucks me up because like I'm super, I'm, I'm fucking weird about my body, man. I always have been. But like when my clothes start to fit different, I'm like, oh shit, I'm getting fat. And I start panicking. And, you know, I don't like that word and I don't like to, but like I've struggled with my weight for a really long time. And that's something that I don't want to do. So me too. Um, but at the same time, like gaining muscle is cool, man. Yeah, I think it's bulktober and I think you should embrace that shit. I, th I think. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. embrace it. I'm going to, what I do is I always like, this is my season. This is your busy season. This is my snack season. Do like, it. I don't fuck around with snacks in October. If it's Either pumpkin spice flavored or maple leaf flavored, if it's got a fucking maple leaf on the box, I'm going to eat that shit. Same. I'm going to do it. What is your favorite uh, pumpkin spice treat? Dude, right now I'm living and dying by fucking Trader Joe's pumpkin JoJo's cookies. Hell yeah, dude. Those are awesome. Dude, those are the shit. And like, oh, I love their, those, the maple leaf cookies with the maple cream in the middle. Those are the shit. But like the pumpkin JoJo's are where it's at for me this year. I like the thumbprint cookies with just like the ridiculously orange thick icing. So yeah. Better. Yeah. Let's just get ahead. I don't know if I can, I, I haven't checked the, the ingredients yet on those or not. The cool thing about the, the pumpkin JoJo's and the maple leaf cookies is that they're, they're vegan as far Ooh, as i'm concerned I think right so. yeah because it says it says on there may contain milk or egg may that's fine but the way i see that is it may not yes it's bulked over don't worry about it bro it's bulked over it's it's going where it's supposed to be we're gonna fucking we're gonna get bowed man we're gonna get jacked yeah worry about it you can worry about that after death because today we're talking to somebody from after birth you know, oh shit! Look at that segue. <laughs> Fucking professional today on Lips and Rips. We are joined by none other than Cody Drasser, who is the guitarist of long time on again, off again, but very much on now. Death metal maniacs afterbirth. Get that They're motherfucker! Insane. We're bringing them in. Cody is connecting to audio. They are an insane insane musical 
output for sure. Yes, yes. And I, I can't wait to hear more about this. I well, don't know if we're gonna get video or not. I know that we're gonna get audio, but right now he's muted. I don't know if Cody can hear us. Let's ask him to unmute. Hi, hi Cody, please unmute. Hey. There can he is. you hear me? Yes, there he is. What's going on, man? What's up? What's up? Hey, what's going on? Can I, you hear me? I, yes, we can hear you. We we got you. I'm Schuler. Um, I'm the I'm the death metal radio dude who's been pestering you on the internet. <laughs> uh, and I am I'm joined today by my buddy Zach from Death Comes Lifting. Hey, Cody. All right. Nice to meet you, Schuler. Nice to meet you, Zach. Pleasure to be on here. And I didn't feel pestered once. Uh, awesome. I have a tendency to do that though. So like I'm really really glad that that wasn't the case. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to like straight up forewarning and Zach I joked about this the other day about like starting a new podcast called The Punisher where mm -hmm. like so, I just fucking I just go through like I'll get somebody from a band that I like on the show and then I'll just go through like some fucking innocuous, stupid detail from their career that I obsess over for no fucking reason whatsoever and just have like one hour long drawn out conversation about that. And I say that to say, Cody, um, that Four Dimensional Flesh is an album that spent a fucking whole lot of time in my ears last year. Cool. Um, and we are we are really stoked to talk to you about the, the writing process, the history of the band, all that stuff. And I'm going to do my very, very best not to drive you nuts uh i'm psyched to talk about it you ask me anything you want um i might have answers sometimes i might be at a loss for words you know we'll see how it goes um like, yeah like who actually thinks about this shit it's me unfortunately I'm yeah the guy who thinks about this shit me too. I made it. So I think about it too. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so one of the, one of the, one, I guess we should start at the beginning, right? Um, I, I have been a fan of Afterbirth and I, I've been a fan of death metal for many, many years. I've been a fan of Afterbirth since 2017 when you guys put out the Time Traveler's Dilemma. There it um, is. And I, oh man, it's all here, baby. It's all here. Sweet. Um, and then I found out in 2017 that you guys, uh, as I was listening to this, I was like, where the fuck have these guys been? How is this a debut record? And then yeah. I started doing a little bit of digging and I'm like, these dudes have fucking been around for a while. They just took a really, really long break. Tell us a little bit about the early days. Tell us about how this whole thing came together. Uh, New York death metal back in the day. Let's start from the top. Oh boy. Yeah, man. Um, well, I was a kid when I discovered death metal, like around 14, 15, um, a few years before that, when I was like 11, 12, I started to have like some weird burgeoning interest in like metal. And I'm like, this felt um, scary and subversive and like, oh, my parents wouldn't approve of this, but I want this so bad, you know? Um, you know, so, I found with my best friend, Dave, who's the bass player for Afterbirth, a stash of his older brother's like metal, vinyl and cassettes. And um, so like Live After Death was like a, a vinyl album that figured prominently, um, you know, some Black Sabbath, throw that in there, um, Anthrax, you know, those things, some, some very classic obviously well-known metal bands and i was like this is this is very cool yeah um one of the first things i heard that really sort of i was like that this is what i like was anthrax doing a cover of sabbath bloody sabbath 
Um, so it was actually like, I literally heard the cover version before, like the real version. Yeah. And I thought the guitar was so heavy and chunky. I was like, oh, this is so, this is so good. I don't know what this is or how I can explain it or why I like this, but I like this. Um, just, you know, kept on going from there. Um, and then I found in the same stash, cause we like went back to this stash over and over again, yeah. a, a copy on cassette of Iron Maiden somewhere in time, which actually just turned 35 years old, which is like really blowing my mind. And I took the cassette, I guess I want to say I borrowed it from Dave's older brother. Um, cause I, I think I gave it back at some point. And that was the first album that like, I really listened to over and over and over again, like obsessively. I got like, I listened to it. And like, like when I first heard Alexander the Great, like the hairs on my whole body, like stood up and I was like, holy shit. Like, I just couldn't believe, <laughs> I couldn't believe I was feeling like this. Um, and I, it's one of those albums that like, when I still listen to it, I still get the chills. Like it just, it's like encoded into my DNA, I guess. I don't get tired of it. Um, so then it just went further from there. Like, obviously then it's like, oh, who is Metallica? I want to find out. Who is Slayer? I want to find out. Who is Anthrax? Like I mentioned, I want to find more about that. So I actually started just asking for like metal cassettes for like my birthday and Christmas and like my mom, like she just bought these things for me. Like I would find like anthrax state of euphoria in my, my Christmas stocking. And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just like, Keep your mom and real. I would like listen. Yeah, she really does. Um, <laughs> she like, didn't understand it, but like, she was like, okay. You know? Yeah. But that's cool. Um, I mean, like so many parents, especially at that time, you know, like in, you know, in the early nineties when I was sort of finding this stuff too, that before death metal, but just metal, it was always, parents were afraid of this shit um and so yeah. like to see to see them to see your mom being like well it's not my shit but if he's into it whatever that's that's cool man and that eventually gave us afterbirth so tell your mom i said what's up that's amazing sure. i will oh, i will anyway, um, sorry continue no no i don't you know if i get off track or if i'm like going off on some sort of weird tangential thing just stop me and um you know bring me back to the main path oh, man. um, off track is off track is our our territory that's where we live <laughs> um so then like i had like my first taste of like really heavy stuff like sort of like towards the end of eighth grade i heard uh, exodus fabulous disaster and I thought that was like slightly heavier than some of the other stuff I heard, um, especially like Gary Holt and Rick Hunold's guitar. Like it was like a little bit more aggressive and interesting, actually. It was like more, it was not quite as traditional sounding to me. I was like, there's something up with this. And I really liked it. And uh, I tolerated, you know, Steve Souza's vocals. I don't think he's the yeah. best vocalist, but I was like, it was, it was the guitar, you know, that, that brought me there. And yeah. like, um, and Tom Hunting's, you know, drum style, it was just like real pummeling. Um, and I forced my dad to like, listen to that cassette, like as he like drove me to guitar lessons for like a few months. <laughs> and I feel really bad about that now when I think, about, <laughs> when I think back it's, on it. It's bonding time though. Because I was probably, you know, he was probably like, what the, f what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> and I was just too enthralled and, and obsessed with it to like really care about other people's thoughts about it, which I guess was kind of cool. Um, you know, I, like I never let someone say a negative opinion and then have that negative opinion affect me, you know? 
yeah, yeah. Which kind of leads me to like my next thing. I felt like this thing I'm going to say next was like a major step. So like between eighth and ninth grade, um, I was watching Headbangers Ball on MTV. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. Um, us old people. Well, I'm using the old, the word old loosely. It's not a derogatory term when I say that. I, I'm I am 38, but I do recall like I remember one foot in the gutter and one fist in the gold, man. Like I remember watching that shit. Yeah. Um. So I just turned 46 last yeah. week, so you know I'm a little older than you, but like we're in yeah. the same age bracket, I think. You know. Um. <clears throat> but so between eighth and ninth grade, you know, one one summer evening, I'm I, I slept over at my best friend's house. We're watching Headbangers Ball, and like the very last, we watched the whole thing. That was like a triumph that we stayed up that long you know <laughs> and uh creator's uh song called betrayer came on off the album extreme aggression and that was like a real like next to like iron maiden somewhere in time like that first step this was like a, some sort of secondary or tertiary step for me because I, I just sounded so heinous and brutal and i hadn't heard anything that aggressive before and uh then I, my taste was like solidifying then. Like, I'm like, it was almost like the more intense and the more brutal, the better. Um, which I think is not always the case for like people that get into metal. Um, yeah. They might start off. And I did start off, you know, with Maiden and Anthrax and all that stuff. Because that was like all that was around. Even, I mean, yes, Repulsion and Napalm Death and that stuff was there and existing, but it was not on my radar because yeah, it was, wasn't yeah. on anybody's radar yet. Um, but I, so I heard Creator and I was like, I was not put off by it. And I remember saying how much I liked it. And my friend who I was with at the time who kind of liked metal, like Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica and stuff said, oh, this is terrible. This is shit. <laughs> and, and the fact that he said that made me think, you know what? he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think there's something here. I think this is actually awesome and he doesn't understand it. And maybe I don't understand it either, but I'm going to keep going. So then it was like Sepultura. Um, then it was, um, you know, I'm blanking on all the bands, but you know, sure. some of those more deathly like thrash bands that started, it wasn't like it wasn't Slayer, you know. It wasn't Metallica. It was still very heavy, but it was just slightly Sodom and Destruction and that that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know that European German stuff that yeah. was just. It was like it took whatever America was doing and it 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 took it for a ride, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and then you know, obviously, it makes sense that from there, since um. Sepultura Beneath the Remains was such a huge album and that was on Roadrunner that that was back in the day when you could like look at a label or read a thank you list and be like ooh I want who who's obituary why are they thanking John Tardy like you know let's go here yeah. and so you know from there I discovered um, Spiritual Healing by Death and Cause of Death by Obituary those are like the first two real death metal albums I heard I don't now that I have a lot of hindsight, I don't always consider Beneath the Remains to be like classically a death metal album, yeah. which, which is fine. I have, it's still an amazing album. Like I was obsessed with Sepultura for a long time. I don't think I'm putting it down when I say it's yeah. not a death metal album. Um, but Obituary and Death were like the first death metal bands I heard. And, 
and and cause of death actually just turned like 31 or something this year and i remember listening to that and actually being terrified of john tardy's voice <laughs> it was really like scary to me it's even though fucking, I, that shit's unnerving to hear when you're a kid like that obituary is one of the bands that i was really put off of at first when i started yeah. getting into death metal because i was just like he's got to be puking like he's got to be making himself sick. oh it sounded you know so gurgly and disgusting and um i was just like wow you know um yeah. what the hell is this guy doing <laughs> And, you know, it turns out there really weren't any lyrics anyway yeah. <laughs> to it. I mean, there were some lyrics. He was saying some stuff, obviously. Yeah. That was kind of weird to me. I was like, how could he not have, like, lyrics? Like, what is, uh, you know, what's going on here? Um, I eventually got used to it, and I, I really loved the vocals cause, because of its delivery and kind of initially off-putting nature. It was very, very cool. Um, and how old was I? I was maybe like 14, 15. So this was like 10th grade, I guess. Um, I think, you know, it gets a little blurry when I start to go way back there. I um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, you know, I also want to be clear, like I still was hanging on to thrash. Like I was still listening to Slayer. Yeah. You know, Seasons in the Abyss came out around this time and I love that album. It's so, it's so wonderful, you know, and um rust in peace just a phenomenal album you know also yeah. getting getting into stuff like you know the real thing by faith no more so i was listening to a lot of other stuff too um but death metal sort of had my had my heart you know <laughs> yeah and it, i i do i mm -hmm. do kind of want to hear i definitely want to hear about the other influences that you as a musician you ended up sort of working into your stuff especially you know the the, the two afterbirth full-length records it's clear that there is just a whole lot of influence from other places on there and i know that we'll get there at some point but like yeah. hearing hearing you know as a kid that you were listening to like obituary but also faith no more at the same time like that makes total sense if you listen to these last two records um yeah i'm you know faith no more you know, though I don't, I didn't really care for Soul Invictus, that last album they put out. Yeah. Um, that doesn't matter to me. Like, they're, you know, I'm never going to lose my love for The Real Thing or Angel Dust or King for a Day or any, you know, those albums are like immensely important to me. And, and a lot of other alternative <clears throat> metal and rock that was like coming out at that time, you know, because growing up, it was smack dab in the middle of grunge. Yeah. And and those sorts of bands like and because I was young and impressionable, like, you know, I was not beyond that. And I liked a lot of it and I have no shame for it. Um, funny, funny story. Me and Dave, again, my best friend, bass player for Afterbirth, used to walk sort of a far distance to this record store. And it's maybe about five miles from my house, which is like when you're a kid, that's a long way to walk. Um, and we walked on the train tracks, which is like super dangerous, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you made it, you survived. Yeah. We, uh, went there one, one fall day, you know, maybe like, uh, I don't know, 30, 29, 28 years ago. I guess it was 30 years ago now that I'm thinking about it. And I bought based on the cover. This is when you could like faith purchase certain albums. Um, yeah. suffocation effigy of the forgotten. And he bought on cassette Nirvana's Nevermind. And 
we both went home and listened to those albums and had really amazing connections to those albums. And we both called each other up later. And I said, Dave, you have to come over and listen to this. Like, I don't know what I'm hearing. Like, I can't believe that this is a thing. And he basically said the same thing about Nirvana, Nevermind. And I was like, so we had like a listening party and like our minds were blown by these just, uh, opposite sort of yeah, well they're yeah, both yeah. heavy you know so maybe they inhabited a uh, a space that was similar but you know suffocation you know you just think about the opening to leisure in veracity you know the yeah. dun, 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 and then just blast and yeah. frank mullins again like john tardy's just insane vocal delivery like i don't know what the hell is going on here and then nirvana's sort of hmm dirty a little bit tortured punky you know stuff and i was like i loved all of it um so (laughs) you know that's that's part of my death metal soup upbringing you know like there could be some of nirvana nevermind even in (laughs) in my music now you know somehow let's Let's talk a little bit about how it sort of made that leap from the stuff that you listened to to the stuff that you created. So uh, when did you start playing guitar? Was that your first instrument or were you into anything else before that? Or what, what, how, what's the story there? Well, I had some weird desire when I was like in sixth and seventh grade to play bass. I knew nothing about bass, but for some reason I would see like videos and I would hear it. And I'd be like, that's cool. Like you, you, you feel the bass before you hear the music in most cases, you know, yeah. I was like, I want to be that person. Um, <laughs> I had no real inkling or clue into what a bass even was or how to play it. But so I had that thought, you know, I even thought at one time I would play drums. I still, even now as a 46 year old man, feel like maybe when I have the space and the time and the money, I might even buy a drum set for myself. Never um, yeah. Um, but I played guitar. I started playing guitar at 12 and the way I started was, um, my grandparents on my father's side you know they're they're deceased now um but at the time they were alive and they had both retired and they were moving from one town where they had like grown up and worked and raised kids to another like more low-key town out here on long Long island like further out east so me and my dad and my other my brother drove out to my grandparents house and we helped them basically move all their stuff into a moving truck and um my uncle my father's brother he he had passed away a long time ago when i was a kid but my grandparents had left his room almost like as it was you know when he passed and in a fixture of his room was his acoustic guitar and i i kind of just said i'm like can i have this um just i don't know why i even said that um but I feel it was like such, like if I hadn't said that, like, and they, or if they had said no, and they might have said no because it's their deceased son's yeah. belongings, you know. Um, but they said yes. They said take good care of it, and I said like a twelve-year-old, of course I will, you know. Um, and I just started noodling around, and I had some friends who played guitar, maybe like a little bit longer than I had, a few months, like and. They just taught me some stuff and I started taking lessons. 
lessons were sort of like sporadic here and there and intermittent. Like sometimes I wouldn't even go to lessons. You know, I would actually have my mom drop me off in in town with like the music center and I would say, bye mom, you know, and I would take my guitar and I would take the 15 bucks that she gave me for the lessons. And I would walk right over to the record store. <laughs> I would buy like whatever death metal album or whatever was my tickling my fancy at the time. I remember <laughs> one time she dropped me off and, you know, I walked into the music store and walked out the back door, went to the record store and I bought, um, do you remember that band believer? They were like a death thrash band. Again, they were on Roadrunner. Um, I don't. I don't know them. No. Yeah, really, really fabulous, fabulous, fabulous band. It definitely in the vein of like Sepultura, you know. And yeah. of course, it makes sense they were on Roadrunner. Um, now, forgetting the name of this album, I'll I'll remember it, you know, sometime throughout the conversation. I met, I bought that album, and it was just like really heavy thrash, a little technical, and I was just. I didn't think it at the time, but I'm like doing things like that were so much more important than actually taking guitar lessons for me. Yeah. It was like discovering new music and then going home, not really knowing how to play guitar, but like listening to it and just like making noise that kind of sounded like that band. So that was like sort of like a pivotal thing for me, like just trying to emulate those bands. Cause I thought for a few years, a long time, like I sucked, of course I sucked, you know, like when you start playing an instrument, like I wasn't good, you know? Yeah but I kept playing for some reason, you know, I didn't have anyone to play with. No one I knew played guitar, no one in my family, you know, at, in the house at any rate was like musically inclined or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I just kept doing it and I don't know. And then maybe when I was like 15 or 16, maybe, I don't know, let's just say 11th grade. So this would have been like, three or so years after playing guitar, I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm kind of okay. And um, Dave's older brother, Matt, you know, who, who's vinyl stash, cassette stash. Yeah. I, I actually was introduced to metal from, I was walking home one day from school and he's like, Cody, come over here. I'm like, what? He's like, go get your guitar and your amp. Come over here. I'm like, okay. You know, and he's, Matt was maybe like 18 or 19. So, you know, a 19 year old and a 15 year old, like a 19 year old is very old to a 15 year old. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're an adult and they have girlfriends and they have like yeah. long hair and like, Ooh, that guy has a mustache, you know? Um, and he played drums. So he's like, come over, just come jam. And I was just like, and like, he was pretty good. This, uh, you know, Dave's brother, Matt. Um, and I was, I just was thinking on the way over there. I'm like, why does this guy want to play with me? Like I suck. Um, but I kind of realized like, no, maybe I don't suck as much as I thought. And also he just wanted to play. So it didn't matter if I sucked. He was just like, play a riff, you know? So I was playing like yeah. some, some master of puppets riffs. I didn't know much. And he would just like play drums, you know? And I would just like loop riffs cause I didn't know entire songs or anything. I would just like play the opening riff, you know, that whole very iconic beginning to the song master of puppets we would just play yeah. that like for an hour you know <laughs> which is um, so much fun when you're a kid dude. Yeah. when you're in your first band just like making noise it sounds like something you've heard before even if you're doing the exact same shit over and over and over again like it feels good it did um and then so some of my other friends had started to play guitar or drums or bass at this point and i would play with them on occasion and it was those, you know, those silly high school bands that, 
you thought were like so serious and you were going to like, you know, change the world of rock music. It was like a very Bill and Ted sort of thought. Um, <laughs> and, but you sucked and, <laughs> but you still played and you, you had fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple of, couple of joke bands like that. Um, you know, I never really thought anything of it. I was like, I love death metal, but like no one I knew really liked death metal as much. And I never thought I could be that. I still didn't think I was going to be that good. And um, after I actually right before I graduated, you know, I had been progressing even more and getting even more seriously into death metal and starting to write like not songs, but like a couple of riffs, you know, interlinked. And I was like, oh, well, this could be a death metal song, maybe. Too bad I don't have a band to play it with, but like the band is in my head and it sounds good enough. Um, I would draw fake logos for fake bands that didn't exist, um, <laughs> thinking, oh, you know, oh, this would be a sick logo and this would be a sick band. And um, long story short, you know, this sort of brings me to like the summer. I was graduating and I met Matt Duncan, who was the vocalist of, who would become the vocalist of Afterbirth. Um, Matt Duncan had originally met my, one of my younger sisters at the mall and tried to hit on her. And my sister Shay, she just wasn't having it. You know, even then she was just like, you're a bullshit artist, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but she noticed that he liked death metal and, kind of was into stuff that her older brother, me, you know, Cody liked. And he, she was like, well, why don't you come over and meet my brother? I think Matt in his mind still at that point thought, okay, I'll, I'll meet this guy, Cody, and I'll get to fuck his sister, you know, like sort of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that never happened. The, you know, the intercourse part. you know we hung out and we hit it off right away and you know he was definitely a little weird but so was I and he saw that I played guitar and he was like whoa we should start a band he played guitar you know admittedly like not as well as I did at that point and I'm not saying I was amazing but um so we started just jamming just two guitarists you know what I mean making noise in a room and it probably sounded like crap, but we were having the time of our life and it felt like, oh, this is a step, you know, because it was a like-minded person who we could actually play music with or yeah. attempt to play music with. Um, we talked to a lot of people, auditioned some drummers. Um, nothing really worked out. Either they weren't into it or they didn't understand it or we didn't think that they were cool enough to hang i guess at some point or or they were just dicks straight off you know sometimes you know whatever um then matt uh a girlfriend he had later on said oh i know this guy keith he's a drummer uh you guys should try him out and this guy keith who you know keith harris our drummer he had never really even listened to death metal let alone played death metal or blast beat you know so it was all very new to him Um, but we jammed and we knew Keith was amazing, amazing, like right from the beginning, because he's like a natural musician. He plays drums, he plays piano. He can basically just like listen to something and play it. He dabbles in guitar a little bit. Um, and so we're like, well, this guy's good enough and he doesn't seem to 
have an objection to playing with us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so we just kept jamming and we went through a couple of bass players. You know, these are people that Matt had known from around town where he grew up and um, they never really worked out or lasted. It's not even, you know, worth mentioning basically, but um, you know how it is in, in youthful bands. It's like, you didn't really, you didn't contribute to the band. So it does, I'm not even going to mention who you are. Um, (laughs) And then again, Dave, my best friend, bass player of Afterbirth, he had been playing bass for a while now at this point, he maybe started playing bass like a few years after I started playing guitar. And yes, we had been jamming. He was a part of many of those like sort of jokey high school bands. He would jam with people I didn't really hang out with. So he was getting music, musical experience that I wasn't, you know, um, and then after we didn't have a bass player for a while, I just sort of mentioned to Dave, I'm like, dude, why aren't you in the band? Why don't you just play with us? And he said, okay. Um, he didn't think, he didn't know if it would work, would work out. He was a little younger than all of us by a few years. Yeah. Like he was, he was still in high school. And um, I'm like, I don't know, just come on, just, just play with us. Just play on the, it's just, we jam on the weekend. It'll be fun. Um, and he did, and it worked out. Um, and we started writing, you know, the Afterbirth tunes. Um, at first, you know, I listened to some of those earlier tunes, like th- some of those tunes are on like the compilation disc that, you know, the purple cover. It's got a, yep, there it is, dude. Uh. <laughs> it's um, like songs like Flesh Wound or Crematorial Gates. Like those weren't really my songs. Those were um, one of the bass players tracks. Um, and it was like a little, it wasn't really what I wanted to do, but we played them because it's like, well, here's a song that he wrote. So let's just try to play it. Um, plus we were really just sort of green, you know, wet behind the ears. We, we still didn't know what we wanted to do as a band. So we were just playing anything. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but we, no, things no, are... that's, you're right. No. So like what, so you guys get together, you're sort of, like you said, you're a little bit green. You're still young. Obviously there's still a lot of really impressive musicianship um, on these songs, especially like the, the psychopathic embryectomy demo, like those tracks feel new. Those tracks feel like a, a, a competent, like, tight experienced brutal death metal band wrote them like this year and i, I think that <laughs> cool. i think that apart from you know like the demo quality of the of, of the recording like that sh- that shit was fucking amazing and so that was one of the things that surprised me so much when i you know like i said i didn't get into you guys till 2017 i went back and i heard this demo and i was like why the fuck didn't these guys get snatched up by somebody and end up doing something so what did happen how did the band run its course the first time around Yeah. So that's, I like talking about this. This is interesting because I do agree about the tracks on psychopathic, like something happened, some magic was going on. And I took like whatever influences I had, which are like hugely like New York death metal influences. Clearly. Yeah. Um, And I, we ran with it, you know, and I like, I think I, we all pushed Keith you know, to be a better, well, he was an amazing drummer, but a better death metal drummer. And Matt just like went off on his insane, deeply guttural vocals. Um, and Dave, that's the part that really fucked me up. Like when I, when I heard the demo for the first time, I, it just, it's surprised. You don't, 
you don't hear a whole lot of gutturals that are that low on something that came out in like what 1994 you know yeah like brutal death metal was definitely a thing at that point even if it wasn't being called that and yeah you right. had guys like uh like frank mullen mm-hmm. um even even john mckinty to a, to a degree doing the deeper like harsher stuff but like the the super deep fucking gurgly like proto slam shit like that that was that had to be unheard of right I think yeah and like i will get into like the the demise of the band uh in a moment but like you know matt, matt was just doing his thing and because death metal could be anything at that point yes. like there yes. was not not so much pigeonholing or like genre bending yet like I, no one said, "Oh, well, you can't sing like that," or "What is that called?" Like Matt just did this this vocal style, and I can't emulate it, so I'm not going to try. Yeah, and I said, yeah. th- and I just said, "That's cool. Just do that," <laughs> you know, because um, it was death metal, you know, yeah. because death metal could be monstrosity, death metal could be disincarnate, death metal could be, um, I don't know, cyanide. It could be anything. So, and all those bands sounded different, but it was clearly death metal. Um, I want to say one more thing that I think was a, a very almost mysteriously and unseen influence on Matt's vocals was there was a death metal band from Germany at the time called Atrocity. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had two really like classic death metal albums and then they, then they morphed into a, like, they, they, they really, there you go. Hallucinations. They should be Hallucinations. The, the later shit is interesting, but like, it is, but I don't I mean, want to hear this it. Is, yeah, this is the shit. Um, so Alex Krull, you know, the vocalist on in that band, yeah, he yeah. does. He has a wild vocal delivery. Um, it's 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 like it's animalistic. It's inhuman. And occasionally he does very, very deep guttural vocals. And I've never even I had never heard of a European band doing stuff like that at the time. But when he did it, because it was sort of like peppered in there every every now and again, it really yeah. stood out. And I think both Matt and I were very influenced by that vocal style, as well as the music that, you know, like that yeah. music, you know. Um, but like as far as what led to like the destruction of the band, it was maybe like youthful arrogance as well as youthful ignorance. You know, we were butting heads about certain things. We also didn't know maybe how unique or special we were and i'm not saying we were unique or special but i'm just saying other people thought that and we didn't realize it at the time um and i don't think it was any just one thing um we would have our arguments and we would like call each other names and would get (laughs) you know a little infantile and immature i mean what do you yeah, what do you expect when like the youngest member is 17 and the oldest member is like 21? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but one day I think, um, and now I'm, I don't remember exactly, but Keith, Keith, the drummer, he was the first person that quit. And I don't remember if he called me up and told me or he might've called up Matt and then Matt told me. So I was just like, and I don't know why I didn't object, but I just said, okay. <laughs> like I yeah. didn't, I didn't try to persuade him for whatever reason. Um, it just seemed like, well, that's what he wants. And I don't know if I can change his mind. And I, I was just kind of mad at him anyway, for whatever stupid reason. So I said, fine, fine, whatever. And I went over to his house when he was at work one day. And I just said to his mom, I'm going up to get my amp. And I left. 
and uh, I stole his uh, Far Beyond Driven CD too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One final kick in the nuts. You dick! I'm taking this. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Does he know that? Uh, he will soon. <laughs> <laughs> he Sorry, might. Keith. Yeah, he might know it. I think I might have said that to him. Um, and then, like I said, I don't know why I didn't object or try to like keep the band together or get another drummer. You know what I mean? Like I don't know why I didn't do that stuff. And that's like the youthful ignorance on my part. I'm like, was I just completely uncaring about it? Did I not have the energy? Was I glad? I mean, it's a bunch of all of that stuff. Um, I was, you know, I started, you know, dating this girl around that time. So she had like my attention, I guess you could say that too. And so I was like, well, the band broke up and I have a girlfriend and I have a job. So there you go. <laughs> and that. That was that, you know, and I still played guitar for a while after that. And I did jam with people and we started or tried to start bands. And, you know, we even had songs. We cut like rehearsal demos. Um, but those bands never really went anywhere, even if we played live or if we had some success. They weren't death metal bands. But um, but it just felt like the death metal thing, the afterbirth thing was a thing of the past um and then eventually i stopped playing guitar i sold my equipment i moved to queens i went to school of visual arts and i just started living like a whole different life you know i left everything behind <laughs> that was yeah. that and that and, and and so how much time passed until you picked a guitar back up if you had uh, i mean maybe you don't know like to the day i'm sure but like when when did you get the bug again? Or did um, you? Was it somebody else? Well, all right, here's the thing. I got to say, I never stopped playing guitar, but, but I stopped playing death metal. I stopped playing like metal music. And for a long time, I was just making noise, like literal noise and ambient music. And like I had my guitar synth and like whatever abrasive, weird stuff I could make with that guitar synth and my guitar, that's what I was doing. So I wasn't really interested in playing with a band. I just wanted to make cool sounding, cool sounding st stuff that sounded interesting to me, but nobody else, but I was having a good time with it. Yeah. Um, this was maybe like 99 or 2000 <clears throat> when I was doing this stuff, living in Brooklyn at the time. Um, I did have an acoustic throughout all this and I dabbled, you know, on occasion with, you know, some noodly stuff, but maybe it wasn't until like 2007 or 2008 where my mom, again, my mom comes into the picture. Um, she bought me that woman. Yeah. She bought me an acoustic guitar um, because I had graduated uh, yoga teacher training. You know, that's part of what I was doing. Um, I was, just off on my own trying it was like like a lot of people it was sort of like a spiritual path for me you know whether that's yoga for some people or running for others or weightlifting for others like I just started doing yoga so anyway I completed this yoga teacher training and my mom bought me an acoustic guitar as a gift you know to say congratulations on finishing this and so that was 2007 2008 and that's I would say that was when I started playing a little bit more and I would even like, 
noodle around with some afterbirth riffs but like there's no way i remembered that song the music at all you know yeah. i was like how do i play impure conception like i couldn't even figure it out <laughs> and i and i couldn't even play it anyway like i had lost like the muscle memory and the dexterity you know so that i was like well i guess death metal is not a thing but i kept playing you know i kept playing and then eventually like I did start to play like death metal stuff again, just on my own. I had an amp. I had like an electric guitar. I acquired those things again. Um, I think a, a girl I was dating at the time, she also played guitar um, and maybe not as seriously, but I was like, well, when I come over there, can I play your amp? Can I play your guitar? She's like, yeah, sure. I'm not, you know, so that was like, definitely like, nice. yeah, you know, good thing. Yeah. And you know, that relationship didn't work out, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then 2012 2013 this guy john dwyer he lives in rhode island he has a label or had a label called pathos productions yeah he approached me about putting out a compilation album i i understood that he had done this with some other bands like uh embryonic death who were also nice too didn't he dehumanized i think he put out a thing or two um desolate they were like a demo level band from massachusetts who i really liked we even played with them way back in the day and a bunch of other stuff and i thought hey that's cool we were not back together but i i what happened is though because he asked me and i hadn't spoken to matt or keith in so long i said let me not be a dick let me call these guys, even though it's been too long and say, can I have your blessing to put this out? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like there was no money in it for anybody, but I just didn't want to do something that they didn't agree with. And because they were such a huge part of the process, um, I was like, I have to ask them. That's just, that's just who I am. Maybe someone else wouldn't have, and it wouldn't have been a big deal, but it just felt like I had to. So we ended up reconnecting and they were like, definitely let's do it. And we were kind of like, well, if we're doing this, shouldn't we jam again? And I was like, okay. But like, dude, I was living in Texas at this point. Like, so, and Keith was living in Florida. Matt was still on long Island as was Dave, but Dave was very busy with helmet, you know, Dave's in a helmet yeah. and he, yeah. you know, he touring a lot. So we just kind of made it happen where I flew back from Texas for like a week and we rented out a studio for like a few days and we just like hunkered down and like <clears throat> went back into these tracks and even started fiddling around with new songs, songs that I was writing in Texas. Um, and it sounded good or at the very least we felt good about doing it. So we were kind of like collectively all at the same time saying, well, are we doing this? Meaning, yeah. are we getting back together? And we all said, well, I guess so. I guess we are, <laughs> you know? So that was like 2013, you yeah. know, um, or the very beginning of 2014. I can't remember exactly. Um, from there, I flew back another time or two, like I was still living in Texas. And then Keith actually said, fuck it, I'm moving back up to New York. And I was like, man, if Keith is doing that, I should really consider doing that. Um, so That's I had some cool, man. Yeah, I had some reasons to not wanting to stay in Texas. Um, it was just an experiment for me. Pick one. Yeah. 
So I said, let's just move back to Texas. You know, me and my girlfriend at the time. Um, let's move back to New York rather from Texas. Yeah. So, so we did. And really the focus was on just, you know, seeing my friends and family who I hadn't seen for a while and playing. And um, that was just the focus, you know, very strongly from the beginning. Like when we started jamming again, Keith and I set up shop in the room that is now like my stepson's bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it had yeah. nothing, had nothing in it. Um, but now, you know, my stepson lives in that room. <laughs> it's funny to think about. And then at room. Another, what's that? I said it's a blessed room. Yeah. At a, and then we eventually moved to a bigger room downstairs, which is now the office, my my like studio study space that I'm talking to you from. Yeah. And and we're playing in here for a while. Then eventually I was like, dude, we can't play here anymore. It's too loud. Um, you know, it's like residential suburbia over here. So we just started, you know, we just rented studio space. You know, we would jam every couple of weeks and we just kept at it. Um, now, during this, um, we had played one show, one like reunion show, I guess you could say. We played a bunch of old songs and some new songs. And it wasn't like a very well attended show. And there were some issues. We, oh, excuse me, had a little gas bubble come up there from the seltzer I'm drinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had some issues with like the way like uh, Matt, the front man had like performed and was behaving. And that sort of led to us having some arguments and not getting along again. And eventually the decision was made that we didn't want him to be in the band anymore, but we wanted to stay together as a band like me, Dave and Keith. And that was a very rough, rough time <clears throat> for us during the reunion because Keith had said he's like well I don't know if I want to be in the band if Matt's not in the band and I said fair enough you know but me and Dave um, tried to talk some sense into him not some sense like he didn't have sense just to say come on Keith we can do this and we think that we might be better off without him yeah um, so we did and there was a big backlash um, a lot of people said that's Basically, there was a lot of negative feedback from that. Um, we ended up playing as an instrumental band without him a bunch of times. And I think it was well received. But, you know, there was something missing. We would send out the demo. You know, we actually had demoed. We recorded the Time Traveler's Dilemma without vocals. And we were sending that out to record labels. And a lot of the feedback was, this is awesome. Where are the vocals? You know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Okay. You know, like, so we were like, dude, we dudes, we have to get a vocalist again. Um, I had spoken to Will from artificial brain all yeah. the way back in Texas. You know, we had sort of like emailed a bunch back and forth. So I was like, he's the only person who I thought of. He was the only person on the top of my list. I'm like, let me just ask this guy if he wants to sing in afterbirth. And I got in touch with him and he responded and he said, yes. And we tried out. Well, I, there was no doubt in my mind he wouldn't fit, but we, we did have a jam session where it was like a, a rehearsal of sorts to try him out. <clears throat> and it sounded awesome. And basically that was like May, 2016. Yeah. It worked. And we said, well, we already have the debut album recorded. Can you write lyrics and vocals for it? 
<clears throat> so in like within a few months time, he did that. He recorded them here <clears throat> with Joe Sincata. He's recorded suffocation, internal bleeding, yeah. mortal decay, you know, a bunch of other, like too many bands to mention. And then I, I went back to some labels who I had initially went to. And um, some of them still said no. Actually, a lot of the feedback was, this is a little too weird for us. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of thought to myself, really? Like I turned my head like a dog who hears like a high-pitched sound. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, I don't think so. But I'm like, okay, you know, you know your own business better than I do. Um, and I approached Unique Leader at the time, Eric Lindmark. He was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, this is very cool. This is very original. And I want to put this out. So I was like, done deal. Send me the contract. And we signed it. <clears throat> and he put out Time Traveler's Dilemma maybe like a month after we signed the contract. Like it was out on vinyl. It was out on CD. And there, there's our debut album. You know, so. All, these, know. all these years in the making. Yeah. Whew, that's that was a lot of history there. Well, yeah, but like it's really, dude. I I actually didn't know about like how far you guys split in the interim. You know, like moving all over the country and like pursuing actual like, you know, I don't want to come off as a dick or anything, but like adult careers. You know, you got a fucking visual arts degree. You got a you got a uh, you're a you're a certified yoga instructor. Like those are. A lot of times, a lot of times when a band, especially a band from that era broke up, you know, we could sort of trace these other bands that they were in through all this time. And I'm a big metal archives nerd. And one of the things that was surprising to me about this is being like, where the fuck were these guys? Through all of them? You know what I mean? We, yeah, we just weren't anywhere because like yeah. people say hiatus. And I was like, there was no hiatus. Like we were broken up and I didn't give a fuck about the band. You know, that was basically how it went. And um, just a quick caveat here. I have to admit, because I just, I hate not being truthful about stuff. I actually never finished my, my uh, degree program at School of Visual Arts. So I actually. You, you did something else though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it wasn't, what, what, I, what I mean by that is like, you didn't necessarily start another band and try and continue in that direction. You know? Yeah, I did. As, I did. Hey yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was interrupting. No, 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 no. I I am the interrupter always. Uh, but like, no, you guys, you guys spread out in different directions. You guys all did totally different shit, and then you came back and you picked up these musicians again, or picked up these instruments again, and started playing this really dense, weird technical shit. And like, it's oh, sweet. I can see, yeah, I can you. see certain, I can see certain labels being like, I don't know what to do with this in a way because it is it is weird. But the cool thing about it is that it's weird in a way that it feels like you processed a whole bunch of different, all the growth that you had musically, but also like emotionally and like as a, like growing up to be an adult, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It feels yeah. like a lot of that worked its way into the musicality of these two albums because it, there's not there is an urgency and there's an immediacy to the really chunky, brutal death metal parts. But then we've got these really beautiful intros and these really beautiful pocket interludes that like add mm -hmm. so much dimension and texture to the records. And so I like, it's, I, I can see, you know, some labels being like, I'm not really sure where this, where this fits because things are so different in 2017 and now, especially 
um, than it was when you were like what you were talking about earlier when death metal was like uncharted when there was no blueprint when you guys were just yeah. making noise for the fun of it to do you know what's the next extreme thing we can do like now there are lines that have been drawn there are places where things fit and that's very much a part of the business model at this point too it is um eric lindmark obviously incredible musician himself very forward thinking took a whole lot of risks in his own band definitely um, especially with those last two deeds records um so you know seeing you guys end up on unique leader totally makes sense especially to see that you were handpicked by him to go through that process but then like what was the you know you you write your record you guys did time traveler's dilemma you got uh you recruited will to do vocals on it as far as i can as far as i can remember it was pretty much universally acclaimed when it came out what happened between then and four dimensional flesh did you guys start writing automatically did you were you surprised by the reaction to the record like what was the what was the process like between those two points i was definitely surprised by the reaction pleasantly because like you gotta understand like i do try to like humble myself about all of this and I'm, I'm almost just like most of the time when i do something that other people see as successful or very cool i'm like i don't I don't see it the same way because for me it was like a lot of hard work yeah. and I'm like almost exhausted by it and because of who I am and just the way I am in both positive and negative ways I almost like don't give myself that kind of credit so I was just like eh, I don't know just like like Bart Simpson I just shrugged man whatever man whatever yeah, dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was like a lot of the reviews were very favorable and they said a bunch of things that I'm like almost was very similar, like how shocked they were and how similar the things they were writing just like came out of left field. No one could think of like a band that essentially broke up who initially did something maybe genre defying would come back and like kind of do something similar again, yeah. like breaking other boundaries. And I just got to say like with the early stuff and then with time traveler and four dimensional, I'm like, I'm not even like, I don't care about, genre bending or breaking boundaries like i'm just playing music that i like we're playing music that we like um and maybe as the main songwriter of the band um a lot of my influences maybe are a little bit more varied than the next guy or girl yeah. but um i don't really feel afraid to like throw certain things into the mix um I mean, there are definitely riffs I have that I'm like, no, I do censor myself on occasion, but yeah. most of the time I don't. Um, I only censor myself if it doesn't flow well. That's all I care about, flow. Um, so if a riff sounds cool, but it doesn't flow right, I'll, I'll trash it. Yeah. Um, if a riff flows, and even if it doesn't sound like death metal or it sounds something, some other genre, I'm like, well, it fits within the song and it flows and I'm gonna keep it. You know, there's a riff in the first song off of Time Travelers, um, the song Eternal Return. Yeah. It's sort of like after the song stops being like brutal death metal, it takes like a weird left turn, goes into like this big sort of like strummy part. It sounds like kind of like a progressive riff. I don't know what it sounds like, but that was like one of the first riffs that I threw into a new song. And I was like, I don't know about this. Let's see how it goes. And I'm like, it totally works. We're going to keep doing it like this. Um, and people even sometimes point that riff out to me sometimes. Like, what were you thinking? I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, it just came out and 
that's sort of been like my modus operandi for like a while now. And I'm just not afraid. I also don't care what other people think about what we write because I don't know, it's my experience of being in the band. And like, that's the priority. Like I'm glad that people's experience about listening to us is a positive one, but I'm like, I need to have a positive experience to like make the music to begin with. Um, Another thing, and I'm not calling out anybody on this, but I'm really not interested in like coming the long awaited return of a venerated band trying to be like a kid again, like trying to be just as brutal and coming across as comical or, you know, trying to out death metal the youngsters because it's not possible, dude. You know, I got to tell you, all you old people listening to this, stop trying to out death metal the youngsters. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It's the young man's game. It is. but that the thing about this is that it's it's so funny for you to put it that way because I have joked with friends before, especially with four dimensional flesh. I, I had a, a college radio show uh, the last couple of years, and uh, every for the at the end of the year I would do big countdowns or whatever, and, and four dimensional flesh was in my top five. And I remember cool. somebody asked me to describe it in in one sentence because I kept saying like you're you're calling it technical death metal, but that's not what it is. Like you're no. calling it brutal death metal, but that's not what it is. And the phrase that came up was adult contemporary progressive death metal. Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. It feels so it feels mature. Like it feels like there is you guys aren't afraid to let these really pensive parts of the songs breathe. Um, Like I said, you know, there's definitely an urgency and an immediacy to the heavy parts. But like the places where you really sort of let the instrumentation breathe, where you let these songs sort of grow and meander and go in their own direction, like. I feel like that's the kind of thing that comes from experience, that comes from patience, that comes from all these things that we start to accumulate as we get older that aren't any better or worse than being 20 years old and mad at your dad or mad at God or whatever. (laughs) But like, it's just, you just see the world in a different way. You know what I mean? And I think that it's so, it's so cool and it's so rare and it's so rewarding to see (laughs) grownups. It's it's it, and it's so hard to it's so hard to say it without like coming off as a dick or whatever because yeah. I I don't want to call anybody out either and I think that if you are a fifty year old man who wants to pick back up the band that you had when you were twenty and you want to play like you're eighteen again fucking go for it more Do power it. to you yeah. but like I as somebody who is getting older and who like sees these things not only because like I'm a I I work at a university I I, I and and death metal is very much a part of one area of the research that I do to be able to look at this as like an adult with adult concerns and Mm -hmm. who sort of has at this point in his life almost as much of an academic interest in this music as he does a, a a passion for it Afterbirth has a unique way of engaging both those parts of my brain that a lot of stuff that I listen to that I love just as much doesn't. And so I think that it's really cool that the the way that you approach this is just very sort of it's I wouldn't call it nonchalant, but you're very much engaging yourself and your bandmates on you guys own terms. And I think that that's there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And um, I agree with all of that, what you just said. Um, And there's no formula to what we're doing it's just like we get in a room and we rehearse a lot and i'll i'll present a riff and sometimes like i'm even like hesitant sometimes i'm like oh god i don't know what you guys are going to think about this but like can we just play this you know yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. 
Dave just like starts playing some root notes because like he's very good like that. And Keith just starts playing something. And it almost always just feels like universally good within the room. And that's like how it feels like when we play. And like that, that sort of like the, um, the ineffable mystical connection of music of music is very much like something I get from Afterbirth, which is like funny, you know, to think that that's what I feel. But death metal has been like very good to me. And it's been not a crutch, but like a cornerstone of like my entire life, you know, for so long now. I, it's like maybe I never thought it would be a fad, but maybe my parents did and maybe yeah. Dave's parents did. But um, it's just been death metal has meant so much to me and afterbirth has become even more important to me now obviously in like the last five or six years um than it ever was in the beginning you know because i am adult i have an adult concern and like my my the purview of my life is much more you know broad and death metal fits in there somehow i don't always know how but it's a creative (laughs) voice that i must fulfill you know um i hope that i can keep doing it because you know we just signed a, a two contract deal with willow tip and i excellent place to be yeah i agree you know the unique leader thing worked out only for a short time um it didn't work out after uh, after a certain point after eric passed yeah i'll just say that you know i'm not going to say anything too negative but sure. things change things change and that's fair fair enough business is business it's not personal um, but Willow Tip is a better place for us, I feel, and <clears throat> we're working on our second album, and I'm really psyched to do it, but I almost feel like, oh, can I do it? Can I keep doing this? You know, like... You can. I know you can. I have faith. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, um, you know, we've got like almost four songs down, you know, and there's we might bring back an older song. I'm not going to say what one. and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but like, so there's, we're working. And I think the stuff we're working on is, I don't know, just as eclectic and just as brutal. So it's almost like without being like trite or saying this is a mechanical process that I don't have any soul with it. It's almost like business as usual. Like we're doing whatever the afterbirth machine has been doing since like 2014, like we're still doing that. That's good. Like that's, that's, that's what we want to hear, man. Like the, this is, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I, we're, we're winding down. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I did want to make sure that we found out and that everybody listening got to find out what you guys are up to now. It's awesome that you're on Willow Tip. Cannot wait for the next record. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Uh, but also hopefully it's your own pace. You know, you guys are working on your own time and having a good time. And that's the most important thing. But as we get towards the end of the show, and you brought this up earlier very, very briefly, so I cannot wait to hear your answer. <laughs> Cody, again, it's been great having you on. At the end of the podcast, we always ask a very, very important question of our guests. Uh, okay. Zach, Zach, who unfortunately, unfortunately ends up getting bulldozed by me most of the time, always <laughs> is the man to drop this hammer. Zach, would you please get an answer out of this man? Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Cody, thanks for joining us, brother. We have Thank to ask you. you, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Oh. I'm really interested to hear. Uh, pick your favorite child. 
dude, <laughs> it's really hard for me not to go with the debut. Like it's real. I just, sure. it's the, yeah. you know, <laughs> can't argue it. No, you can't argue it. And, or you could, that's the thing about Sabbath. Like you could sure. be like, well, you know, you could argue almost anything like paranoid is great too. Yeah. Um, it's, I really like paranoid, but I just, I go with the debut time and time again, because to me, it just seems it's, it's what I feel black Sabbath is like Ozzy's voice at that point. Like that's very iconic to me. Yeah. And that's like, that's the, the Sabbath I heard when I was a kid, you know, in that vinyl pile, you know, like, so like that had a huge impression on me and all of that stuff, you know, from that album, like, like the bluesy demonic rock thing they have going on. And yeah. even like, like this, it's got soul. It's not just about being evil. It's about, you know, the woman still leaves the guy, you know, it's just, yeah. like that's still well, I, going. <laughs> I think that it's, it's very much in line kind of with, with, the way you seem to have felt about making death metal when you first started, you know, Black Sabbath, we look back and it's so easy now to say that they invented heavy metal or that they invented heavy music or whatever, but that's the, the benefit of hindsight. When you, when you look at this sort of at the time, it was just a bunch of kids with no blueprint doing sort of whatever they thought worked. You know, you got one guy who wants to be the Beatles. You got one guy who wants to do something else. And then you end up with this sound. It's like, like you said, you know, equal parts evil and like, free jazz and blues and all this other weird shit going on and it works it sounds good and I, I mean it reminds me a lot of afterbirth in that way there's so many different things being combined without really any regard for sort of blueprint or formula and i think that black sabbath is a testament to the fact that that shit takes us in interesting directions Boom. yeah uh i agree about all of that and it's like sabbath sabbath fans like if you love sabbath you love sabbath if you don't know sabbath then well you should <laughs> but you know if you're if you don't then maybe you don't know what we're talking about but at least us three you know we know yes. and i guess we wouldn't be here without black sabbath in a way um so thank you to them thank you, thank you <laughs> yeah thank you black sabbath i know you guys are listening right now we're big fans yes <laughs> cody I'm, dude thank you so much for your time we really appreciate you. you we love the band cannot wait to hear new afterbirth uh best to you best to the guys in the band and we hope to hear from you again soon man yeah man all right Schuler and zach i thank you um i love i love this i could talk for like three more hours but um hey, well can, we can have you back anytime yeah, we will get you oh we'll definitely get you back we anybody who's willing yoga. to come back we'll bring him back yeah i'd love to talk about yoga you know um I, another thing, like I'm actually working as like a registered nurse now. I've been you know, like, oh, that's another right. thing that I did. Oh, wow. So like we could talk about that in the context of death metal. Cause I see a lot of death, you know, like <laughs> literally. Um, but uh, it is bath night for my, my little one-year-old and uh, oh. it, it is his dinner time. So, so I am going to. You're the man. Thank Hate you. that baby. Feed that baby, man. We appreciate your time. All right. right. Thanks, guys. Uh, be Thank well. You, and uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. All right. Have a good Absolutely. night, guys. Dude, Thanks, man. You too. All right. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye, man. Yeah. What a good dude. Yeah. What a nice...
What a nice I feel dude. Like, man, I feel like you should get him on the on the regular Death yeah. Rose Lifting podcast. Like he's been on a journey, man. Yeah, probably should. Yeah, that would be rad. That would be, That's a good that, idea. That would be dope. Like everybody listening right now, go listen to fucking Afterbirth and do what you want to do with your life. Right? He was so cool, man. He he even almost bulldozed you. I think he talked more than you. I think he did too. I like that. It makes me feel good. Like I can tell you, yeah. I feel like I didn't have to like every now and then, you know, like I don't mind, but every now and then you gotta get somebody, you know, you gotta give them something so that they've got something that bounces off of them and then they'll they'll talk or whatever and then they'll run out. But this motherfucker had plenty to say and he's got tons of insight into his own process and his own history. And those I think are some of the most interesting guests. I love you, dude. I love the show. Yeah, it's the best. It's so it's so much fun. Hopefully we'll have uh, more lined up. I'm talking to like three people right now. Same. You're just going to get things locked down and we're going to keep the fucking train rolling. Yes, dude. Thank you so much. This is the shit. Well, enjoy this autumn evening. Talk to you later, brother. See you later, bro. Peace out. Bye, buddy.